when I see a young man or a young lady succeed, especially ones that may have thought they would never make it or college wasn't for them. And it turns out when they start getting into the applied stuff that they accelerated and took off beyond their wildest dreams. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my co-host Lloyd Graff. On today's show, we're discussing ways to prepare college students to excel in the machining field with hands-on training. Our guest is Rick Rickerson, Laboratory Administrator for the College of Technology at Purdue Northwest in Hammond, Indiana. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graff. P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. Welcome to the podcast, Rick. Can you first start out by just telling us exactly what your title is and, and what you do here? Sure. I am the laboratory administrator for the College of Technology here at Purdue Northwest. Um, I oversee the functions of the labs for the college in our mechanical engineering technology program, mechatronics, construction, um, to ensure the, the students and the teachers have all the equipment they need and it's a safe environment for the learning. Okay, great. How long have you been here? Uh, 14 plus years, going on 15. Wow. And what did you do before that, Rick? I was, I was actually a graduate of uh, Purdue Calumet and... I became a mechanical designer, worked for several companies in the area, and then started teaching here uh, part-time, and it, the lab technician position opened up, and ever since, I've been here. Why teaching? Staying current with the trends in technology and mechanical engineering, technology and machining and fabrication, plus being around the students, I learn sometimes more from them than they can learn from me. Tell us about the students, Rick. Uh, we've got a great core of students here. The, we see a broad scope of regional um, students from around the nation, international students. But we have such a good group that uh, work together. We try to strive for teamwork here. A lot of our uh, classes are structured on hands-on skills and applied technology type of applications for the experiments. So they work together and they get to know each other. Uh, graduates here usually stay in touch with each other once they've left uh, the university. Well, you have a beautiful array of machining pieces here, uh, Haas VF2 and 
an array of uh, good old-fashioned South Bend lathes. Uh, tell us, how did you get this uh, group of equipment here? Um, that's a great question. Uh, the equipment we've grown um, over the last 10 years immensely. It, the lab was much smaller than it, than it is now. The manual equipment, um, every year the university, we have some funding available uh, to upgrade the lab. A lot of the equipment, um, we work with industry to possibly get some donations. Uh, we, we maintain the lab through student uh, service fees, things like that. Haas has always been a phenomenal partner with us, um, offering us educational discount and just being a key partner with us in our students' goals. Well, tell us about what you have here that the students use. Sure. Um, our, probably our most used machine is a Haas VF2. It, it's the backbone of the shop right now. Um, the interface is real easy to learn. The students, even students that don't have a machining background, um, can come up and get a feel for what's going on. The And that's one thing we're seeing with the students of this age is they're more afraid of the manual machines with the knobs and gears than a CNC with a screen and buttons. They, they really adapt quickly, even more quickly than even a couple of years ago. Plus, again, the intuitive and things on the uh, CNC machines are easily to understand. They still need the science behind the speeds and feeds and the cutting and the coolants and the cutters. And that's what they learn um, in the background. So when they start out, they start out on just the mechanical, or do you start them out on the CNC? Yes and yes. Um, during coursework, we start with the manual. But if we've got students that are showing an interest in really working on projects, and they may not be going for like a full machinist or want to have that full machining background, we'll start them on the CNCs because we can bring them up to speed quicker um, as far as knocking out parts. Could you describe your student body for us? Sure. It is a good mix. We've got male and female in our MET program, um, probably about 10 to 12% female, the rest male, um, different um, ethnic backgrounds across the board. We've always had a great mix here at uh, the Hammond campus with our regional outreach. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's a great mix of the students, and the students vary in age from coming right out of high school to like 23, 24 people that were working and are coming back for graduate studies. Um, we, we see that. Do you think the people that are coming back after working, they're more mentally prepared and do you find them more serious than the people right out of high school or you don't want to, you don't want to stereotype? There's definitely a, um, coming of age thing. Uh, most of our graduate program, focuses on advanced, like more managerial in the lean and process control, things like that, things that you would see in a mid-manager or high manager level. So the individuals that are coming back for graduate studies are previous graduates and realize, hey, I can even go further, but I need that little more education, and that's where that fits in. So they're not working hands-on in, in the lab with all these other machines? They're more... In the classroom? Yes and yes and no. <laughs> they could be or they could not be. With our all of our programs, undergraduate and graduate, we try to engage in industry projects, real-world projects, where we work with industry instead of just reading out of PowerPoint or textbook. Um, let's work a project. And it may be a combination of an undergrad and graduate student doing those projects together um, 
to help local industry or to solve a problem. Well, I recognize uh, the name of one of your sponsors and uh, out here, K uh, Manufacturing, uh, an old customer of ours. Tell me how a medium-sized company like a K uh, can ally themselves with a college like yours. We, for years, we worked with K, and we've um, kind of were providing students for internships and everything. In the last couple of years, we were able to actually provide um, a couple of great students. And we have currently, we have several students working there now that are going through the program. And they're seeing a more, a, a better increase in the quality of the students that are working. And they're wanting more. Um, their transition, they're going more to a more automated uh, type of process. So we're growing with them and learning together on how we can provide the skill level they need along with assisting them in advancing their their development. Well, I know that Kay uh, received a gold robot at uh, IMTS from Universal Robots for buying their 25,000th uh, robot or cobot. Uh, where does robotics figure into what you're doing here? Robotics and automation is going hand-in-hand hand with all of our programs. We, again, we offer mechanical engineering technology and a mechatronics engineering program. And the mechatronics is a hybrid of um, PLC training and an understanding of machine elements to provide that need. And not only with Kaya, all the local manufacturers, um, a lot of the mechanical machines they have are fantastic. They're old, and they're going to keep chugging along. But they need to be faster. So adding that automation component or the robotic component is key to a lot of the survival, like K, to keep their, their doors open and keep growing like they are. Um, we do offer that type of training here. We, we're increasing our robotics um, course offering and our automation offerings as well. It appears that uh, the racing team is a pivotal part of your education process here. Can you tell us how you're using uh, your racing, I don't know what you call them, buggies or machines? What's the story? Sure. Yeah. Um, for years, uh, Purdue, all of our campuses in one way or another have participated in uh, the Society of Automotive Engineers hosts these collegiate competitions. There's various divisions. Um, we compete in the Formula One, and then the big one is our Baja racer. And what that is is the students design and fabricate a single-person off-road racer every year from scratch. And then they compete um, around the country at different events, sanctioned or unsanctioned. And it really is a real-world real application because they've got strict guidelines that they go by. They have strict specifications and strict timeline. Um, at the competition, competition's four days long. In the first day or two, they're subjected to a sales presentation, a design presentation, and then a technical um, inspection of their car, which may take up to a couple hours each time. And if their car doesn't pass technical, technical inspection, they don't race. So the whole year of prepping for this competition could be halted by a single bolt. So it really drives home that. They have to do some type of costing presentation as well. 
So the project management aspect of this competition is as much as building the car and racing the car. So how many students work on a car? Right now I have a core group of about 15 to about 18 students um, this semester working on it. And we're prepping for our race in April and in June. In April, we'll be down in Tennessee. And in June, we head to Rochester, New York to compete. And we're competing against um, 100 colleges from around the world um, in this event each time. Wow, 100 from all around the world. Yes. Are the United States colleges usually the best? or There's a good mix. Um, the Canadian teams really can turn it on when they want to. But usually the the U.S. teams. Uh, what are the rank. other countries? Brazil, Germany, Canada, and once in a while, um, India. Wow. I mean, I think they would be pretty good if they were coming all the way here. Yes, and in turn, um, these competitions, if we wanted to, funding was available. Um, we could compete in Brazil and in India and um, the other countries as well. So it's it's a global event that. Uh, the Society of Automotive Engineers puts on, but it, it's pretty amazing. So they go to the competition, and what all happens at the competition? Is it mainly a race? Is it What is it about? They, like I said, it's a, usually a four- to five-day event. Um, they arrive at the track anywhere between five and what six are, in the morning. What are these buggies look like? Describe them to people. Um, Pretty much if you're into the off-road market, they look like a Polaris Ace or, or a single-seater RZR or like a Ranger. Maybe four feet tall, five feet tall, five foot wide maximum width. Um, they're all powered with the same engine, and that's where the design aspect comes in. Each team um, is given the same engine from Briggs & Stratton, and depending on how they design their gearbox, their frame, their suspension, really is what makes it sets them above. So it really is a design challenge. Okay, so they go, and then there's a race, and then how many days does it span? Well, it spans four, usually. Um, and the first two days, like I said, is um, their design judging, where the car sits. Um, they're only judged on their cost, their marketing principles. Then the third day is some small events where they'll either do um, like a sled pull, mud bog, hill climb, maneuverability, a suspension event. Based on those times, they're gridded for the four-hour um, endurance event on the Sunday, or the last day of the competition. And the teams will be gridded. They start the race, and it's four hours of lap racing. And they're head-to-head, -head, so they all are on the course at one time. But if the course people design the course to break the cars. Uh, we were in Washington a few years ago. 96 cars started the race. Within the first three laps, there were only 42 cars left on the course. Um, so the it, it is a real-world challenge, again, to get over these obstacles in this course. But part of it is, too, how well they can fix them. If a vehicle is broken, they're towed back to the paddock, and they've got the remaining time of the four hours to fix it and get back out there. And what you're counting on or banking on is whoever the leader of laps was also breaks because then it changes the whole aspect of the, the wind pool. Okay. And you were saying before you guys are you're at the track until about midnight. and with, <clears throat> As with a lot of the Baja teams, there's always something to work on, something to tweak. We'll get there at 5 in the morning, sometimes leave about 10 at night, midnight, literally go to the hotel to shower, fall down, and get back up again. 
we always are challenging weather. This past year, we were in Kansas, and all 100 teams had to evacuate the area because of tornado and severe weather. It was it was fun. It was uh, a lot of fun, a lot of challenges besides just the car. Again, part of it is the learning curve of the logistics and the project management of this. Right, and working together and Absolutely. You you were describing you were describing uh having to stand a wreck like basic training uh for hours. What is this about? When the students go through technical inspection, the they are basically first come first serve. Uh, the teams that are ready and get in line, the judges come through and they start evaluating the car. It takes a good hour or two to to go over a car. But the judges are also checking three or four cars at a time. So you literally stand there and wait at the mercy of the judges. Um, most of the judges are industry professionals and they just want the best interest for the students too. But they are strict and they're stringent and they should be. It really does challenge the students to do their best and where are these people from what kind of companies they're from all over automotive they all over most of them come from like an off-road market type of provider um but most of them are also ex-baja racers when they were in college too and they understand the importance of this whole program to our students is the racing part of it one of the attractions for the students to come here most of them don't even know about it before. They Most of them don't even know about it. The students that come are usually driven or have an interest, and they stay because of the teamwork and the camaraderie and the understanding. And when I say stay, when weeks before the event, the students will be here um, all weekend, literally not go home and work the complete weekend. And this type of program, we don't offer it in our coursework. It is strictly extracurricular. This is something they want to be driven to do, and it, when they graduate, it sets them higher above all the other people. Okay, so the with. main Purdue campus, quote unquote, is in Lafayette. Yes. Do you have students from Lafayette coming over here to participate in this, uh, in what you have here? They actually, they've had a team for years, but in the last five years, they've only participated twice or three times. So the, there's always changing in, at the different campuses, but they have the ability to submit as a separate university because we are considered a separate uh, university. Do they have a machining lab in Lafayette? They do, but um, it's not equal in size to ours. Uh, ours is a pretty good-sized lab. Um, we're actually one of the larger ones in the state of Indiana on the college level. And around the country, are you finding more of this kind of education? Yes. Um, we're involved with several professional organizations, um, and what we're hearing from our constituents here, our business partners here, is we need more of the cradle-to-grave type of uh, student that can do mechanical. They can do a little bit electrical. They can also put something on a spreadsheet and read a technical document and be able to go out and talk to somebody in the field and come back and maybe even do some prototypes. We hear that we need that more of a general skill labor more than anything, uh, an all-knowing and all-understanding type of person instead of a distinct silo type of uh, degree. Okay, so, yeah, so you're, in other words, the demand is less for a mechanical engineer, less for a chemical engineer, 
we're looking for an engineer who's got a background and can think on his feet and move from one area to another. Is that what you're saying? Yes, definitely. And more of the applied, more of the hands-on and more of, hey, you know what's going on. You could do this if we asked you to do it. And that's really what they're looking for. More more of an, like a super advanced technician. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so what are they teaching in Lafayette that you're not teaching here? We actually have um, parallel programs. Um, each of the Purdue campuses, though, focuses on regional needs. And again, ours is we're heavily involved or right centered into, as like you said, K manufacturing, a small to medium-sized businesses, where West Lafayette has more of the industrial, like Subaru and them. So we have the same courses and the same programs, but their focus may be a little bit different to support the region. I don't know if you're prepared to talk about this, but uh, this big push now that Purdue is making with Purdue Global, do you figure it all into that? We are kind of treated as a separate entity. Um, that is pretty much their online thing. It's more what, like a sister. What is, what is Purdue Global? Purdue Global is um, Purdue's leap into online education. Um, because of the way, again, um, universities are structured, the they're usually bounded by the state. With us teaming up, they that expanded it. We have gone global with our online education. So in a way, it's competing with the University of Phoenix and that approach to college? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And that's really what it is. It, it, it's expanding our offerings outside the state of Indiana. I see. Well, this has been fascinating. Can uh, Looking back on uh, the last 14 years of doing this, uh, what highlights come to mind for you? There's so many. It's actually hard to list, but everyone is student-focused. Um, when I see a young man or a young lady succeed, especially ones that may have thought they would never make it or college wasn't for them, and it turns out when they start getting into the applied stuff that they accelerated and took off beyond their wildest dreams. And coming back and telling the stories from old Baja team members to the new Baja team members that, hey, we went through these same struggles, even though things are times of change and technology is advanced, you're still going to have these hiccups. Uh, stick with it and you'll do well. Can you tell us about one person in particular? Oh, I've got a couple, but... Um, I had a young man here who he was here for a couple of years. He was a local kid and wasn't top scholar, um, average grades, uh, but he stuck with it. And he was part of the Baja team. And now he is a mid-manager at one of the local uh, manufacturing facilities. And he's doing exceptionally well. And he's under the age of 30. And he's... He, a local kid that was kind of misdirected, wasn't sure where he was going to end up, and he's doing fantastic. Yesterday, we've got a special needs kid that's in our MET program. The kid is a genius, but his motor skills are off. He, there's no way you could operate a machine. It, it would be unsafe. Another senior that's in our class offered to assist him. Another senior heard he was helping this young man, said, well, I'll help you with your project, because I can do this, you can do this, and you're doing that for him. They were in here yesterday working for three hours 
each one helping each other in their own way and it, it was just so rewarding that you know that that that's a lifetime of camaraderie and and understanding and compassion for each other that we're not seeing these days and nobody had to beg these kids to do it it just they got together and, and worked together and that we see that a lot here and that's part of the um, machine shop in the laboratory it it belongs to the students they should be in here and they take care of each other in here but they also scold each other I mean if one of them leaves a mess man they'll get on each other because they want to use the equipment as well too so it, it, a lot of uh, self-control and self-policing by the the students in the lab but they they're in here 24 7. oh really right? yeah at two in the morning you might find somebody here I, especially around race time with both teams um you'll see you'll see students in here 24 7. okay and if i'm a kid or if i'm a kid's parent what's this is going to cost me purdue has our purdue northwest um for our local and out of state has banded tuition and what that means is if you come and you take 12 credit hours it's going to cost you x amount of dollars if you take 13 14 15 all the way up to 18 credit hours it's still the same price and what we're looking at is to help the students stay focused and get done in the four or four and a half years and not drag it out to five or six years and then the cost is based on in-state rates and right now for in-state it's roughly around ten thousand for the year and um for out of state it's a little bit higher it's in the 12 to 14 range for a year and that's with living expenses or that's, no, that's just strictly tuition and in the last actually in the last five to six years we've actually added um not necessarily dorms on campus but living spaces on campus um they're actually small apartments they're amazing they're at the south end of the campus and each student gets his own room but they then they share a kitchen and a living room with four other students so it's not doubled up but it's singled up where you're still getting that that camaraderie but when you want to study or just have some time alone you you still have that uh, privacy there well thanks so much well thank it's you both been for coming an education out. for us yeah thank you rick it's no been, problem it's been really interesting thanks for having me hey everybody First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.